Yeah, but that's very much. Um, I've been asked to talk about everything, but I'd like to talk about Morris Halliday, specifically to who I call ultra, an ultra-conservative extraordinaire. Now, Chris Callum's dead now, um, but he was a very interesting man who crossed over all sorts of theoretical boundaries in his career as an academic, and opposed a sort of radical conservative journalist for many years. Now, I knew him about 10 to 15 years before his death, and he taught at Peter House. Uh, there was a novel by Tiffy Snow called The Masters about an election in a Cambridge college, Oxbridge college, on the intensity of the political passions at the microscopic level amongst the clever men. And uh, that very much the movie is the sort of obvious thing which this man moves. He was regarded in some ways as a little bit of a fashion, he never was. And I always had the impression that he was with Professor Roger Scruton, who had been different from, but who he resembled in certain respects. So they often wheeled out when people wished to uh, damage the uh, mainstream Conservative Unionist Party. It was well said in the mid of the 1980s that Penguin, uh, a book from the top city printing story, published two books. Another three friends reached Jews, The Bible of Chicago School Militarian Capitalism, and Roger Scruton's The Real Meaning Conservatism. And they did both of those in some ways to attack the Conservative Party at that time. But no one can accuse you of attacking anything when you're publishing intellectual material that's in some way adjacent to the party concern. Now, Morris Dowling was a very rarity individual in all sorts of ways. I'll say a few biographical things about him first, because he's just an interesting man. The first thing is that Callum lived at night. The Callum is a sleep gym today. And he stood at the night and said, When you had a university seminar with him, you'd go and see him at one in the morning. <laughs> so everybody was sort of wrecked, essentially, when they climbed up to his tower to see him. And the mist would be coming out of the camp, and the porter would open his light and would see him in bed with the porter after the murder, when he's put the chains on the door and he's opening the door and he'd come in there, and this leery old porter looks at you and says, Professor Crowley, he said, Sure. And he'd say, yes, and he'd go up this stairwell, and he'd open the door, and Carrie would be in his full line room. So he'd have scenes with Jonathan Harper and Dracula, you know? He'd go into this room, and there's books on this wall, and books on this wall, and books on this wall, and Carrie's lying on the bed. Carrie's lying on the bed, dressed in green. And you go in there, and he looks at you, and he says, no, it's you, is it? And in Cambridge, you have to read the FAI. So he saw political philosophy, Aristotle, here a guy spoke of Aristotle's tomb, it said last, but he gave it in some of John Rawls in a way, but it's that sort of section. And he would give you these essays, it didn't really relate to the course as such, but you have to just have to learn a word for it, but in a way, you were more than educated to sort of get the sort of script. It wasn't particularly concerned with qualifications. Um, he, on Marx and Engels, he seems just invented essay funny. He's going, Marx, apologetic and libertarian. Discuss. And he had to go away to do that. Um, and of course, what he's talking about is the 1844 manuscripts, the early Marx, the differentiations and scientific socialism that come later. The interesting thing about Cowling is that Cowling was a sort of archetype for the sort of dons depicted in Waterhouse Blue by Tom Sharp. Because of course that comedy called the House in Peter House, and he's talking about the ultra reactionaries in Cambridge. 
Now, Canada is deeply un-English, it's a spread and deeply English in others. When I say un-English, it was ultra-intellectual. At her time, I saw the book, Drip on Garbage. And you can only imagine, because he 
such a fast growing product of the action rate as difficult individual, the very light overall war is here, as you remember those symbols. I remember war by certain articles in the Spectator in 1974, arguing for a good in Britain. But as you say, who wants to be popular? And Carrick was a bit similar. So he, he was sacked or removed, the expression was, from the express route because he, the, the editor said, You're too reactionary to eat for us. Okay. And this was in the early 60s, which in many ways was quite prior to the cultural and social deluge which was to occur. Um, so he resumes his academic career with these texts in the background on mill and on the uses of politics. And in a strange way, for such a theoretical man, the belief that theory doesn't impinge upon the life and manners and more of the politicians very much. Now, I'm a very complex individual, because although he believes that intellectual ideas dominate life and intellectual sort of power class, even though they have no formal power in all society, if everyone else is taken up and reuses it to another level their ideas. He believed that politicians are usually motivated by anything other than principles. <laughs> and Caroline is a strange individual because although he has to create three beliefs of his own, he's also a nihilist. He's essentially an attacker. He had a mind that's often more associated with the left than the right. Because whenever you put a proposition to him, his first um, his first idea will be to attack. To deconstruct, to break down, and to sweep away, and to see if your ideas can stand it. It's a sort of slightly more aggressive version of the Socratic method, whereby you don't put forward your own proposition, you just shoot it away, whatever anyone has said to you, and remain somehow to one side, you know? Uh, of course, he had no data to explicate it all, even better than he may have put it at the side later, so he had to do that for himself. So you've got this strange tension in power between an ultra theoretical view of life and the view that politicians are deliberative roads acting in microscopic ways, particularly in relation to the laws that they have with each other within cabinets, within parties, and within bureaucracies. But in our power, we believe, particularly in English and British terms, that party was very important. And it was completely dismissive of the modern idea that uh, they were the same, and what does it matter which party people are in? And he liked the idea of the good party man, even though he didn't associate with them because they were a bore. So I'm going to other people, of course, which is why he, uh, including Michael Portillo, who he educated, and who many people think he grew inventive for the mutual Victoria party. But when somebody asked, Gary Ricardo, what's your view of Michael Portillo? He said, oh, well, you may be living Garage. 
impact of labour. This is called impact of demand. And this is British foreign policy. And this is probably the most controversial book, really, and the one which is widely known for outside the purely academic circles. The impact of this British Reclaimer Survey for foreign policy, 1933 to 1940. It's a very provocative book, in a way. All of these books are published for the most part by St. Judas Press, or the University of Chicago, brought out the world edition of this particular book. The thesis of this book is that the British were reacting to the emergence of ferocious new Caesarisms, which is how we looked at Thatcher on the European continent in the 1920s and 30s in various ways. Uh, what really mattered were the national factions within the leadership of the Conservative Party. Don't forget, everyone who knows anything about the history of this country during the 30s knows Churchill and his group were completely outsiders during that period and were regarded as certain lunatics and wild men. It used to be said by ordinary Tories in the mid 30s, you're not one of those ghastly churches now, are you? You know, where they met people who they thought might be. The church was an outsider who wanted to make trouble and wanted an another enormous bloodbath to Germany, which much of that whole generation was determined to prevent occurring, given the fact that they were either caught in the first one between 1914 and 18, or lived through it, or relatives of theirs had died in it, and so on. Um, what I have in these things, which is deeply uh, unpleasant in relation to mainstream centralized opinion now, or maybe the top, he was a man who never followed, whether people thought he was dead and so on. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a degree to which he thinks the whole history of the Second World War and what followed it has been ludicrously sentimentalized and to be and also that it's being written from a labour point of view. In other words, the view of the active administration, the view of people who were in opposition, in quite sort of minor opposition, up until the national governments of 39 14 essentially changed and uh, so fell. When they came in, the radicals in the Labour Party, people like the young Michael Foot, who wrote his book straight chapter straight handbook called Those Guilty Men, the appeasers. Uh, he thinks that Labour conquered the mental space in Britain long before they formed in the absolute majority elected dictatorship, which is how you see democracy, um, between 1945 and 1951. Labour, of course, through the National Act of 1948, begins the process of nationalisation, initially from the Alden Empire or the Commonwealth, which results in the society we have now. So Calvin believes, or believes, with us, that Labour is crucial in its replacement of the Liberal Party as the centre of opposition within the British state and its regime. Um, the interesting thing is that a lot of his analysis politics give Machiavellian in the sense that power and self-interest on behalf of wider groups are what politics is about. He doesn't believe in any of the, uh, of the um, nicer and more moral constructions that people do it for others, that they do it for the esteem that others will have for them, that they do it in order to serve the public good, as John Major once said, he regarded as tawdry rubbish put forward by a political leader. So his view of everything is sort of slightly ferocious and acidic. Um, but his analysis of this country's time, which is a sort of internalized and microscopic version of Herodotus' thesis and the time of British power, um, which views the same events in a more narrative-based, wider 
um, the diplomatic response to Hitler. Um, it could be understood intellectually where it was coming from, even in a dissension climate. So why is Harold prepared to be heretical? How is prepared to do what stop methods do? We basically say, oh, well, no enemy is on the way. And when J.S. Short once said, when communism has been destroyed, communism has been defeated, communism has gone down. But Marxism is not in the That's in many ways the difference between the left and the right. But moderate leftists, who do not like the politics of communism, it's harshness, totalitarianism, viciousness, it's used to totality, are it's wrong. They can't get They don't like it. But they are prepared to look at, to think about, and to use the theoretical ideas of an enormous range of artists, from Gramsci to Adorno to Grekinov and so on. They're not frightened with ideas. Whereas the conservative tradition largely, you know, students on overshot will write, but if you go further out than that, it's regarded as terrifying and sort of you'll be brought up in with the devil, you know. And you have to have very long food in order to do that. So, in a sense, he's reacting against that type of hypocrisy. The idea that some ideas are respectable and others are not, where the stars is concerned, they're all ideas. Um, and many of them are the urgency of power. Now, one critique of power, which certain liberals were not slow to make, because so were a matter of both life. Um, well, there was a sort of nihilistic structuralism to this, that, that in a way, one of the absolutes that he believes in, I once said that he was a Tory Catholic, and he just laughed, um, which is a sort of an endorsement. And there's a complicated uh, element going on there. Um, although he believed that socialised religion was, an effort, was, was necessary to hold civilization together, and its loss through secular erosion and relativism, in this society was what led to what we got. That was his view. How far his own beliefs were in high Anglican Christianity is difficult to say. But of course, there are right wing forms of personalised skepticism or atheism or just non committal through the decade privately, which are different to the left wing and liberal versions of those forms. The leader of French integral nationalism in the 20th century, Sandra Charles Morin, leading a French fundamentalist, neo-Catholicism, really, yet privately not probably an atheist. Why? Because certain people of this temper can't believe themselves. They don't believe the structure of their civilization should be torn down just because they have a private disbelief. So they are constructivists. In other words, they don't believe that all of history is reduced to my consciousness about it at a particular moment because one's part of an interconnected continuum that pre-exists one and that will post-date one. And so although one's private views are important to oneself and to one's service and so on, they are not necessarily culturally determining factors. And that's an interesting attitude because it, it means that even people who are skeptical about the Christian inheritance, which you could say the vast majority of socialist minded and liberal minded and violent minded intellectuals and their feminists and other radicalists later, all work. Don't necessarily have the then goal to me that you tear the whole thing down. Enoch Powell, who had a little bit of a parallel career in science politics, too, apparently, 
Uh, and yet, it seems such a dry subject, the internal high, high politics of the semi-aristocratic leadership of the Anglican Church for 150 years. You know, most of them, the undergraduates, you know, be gagging just with that description. And yet, it's really the fascinating collection, of course, because the character of these men, the intellectual violence of their disputes, the belief that they influence the inner mindset of the inner elite of the empire of our state. And that's what Gary is concerned about. He's not concerned about the masses belief. The masses belief, what they're told to believe. He's a pure elitist. Eighty-seven people have no ideas and just conform to the political correctness of the hour. They conform to the little humanist DC rhetoric now, which she knows that they're eating all women and every other media, because they're not going to conform to whatever view. If they would have conformed as they did in the past to a national, semi-racial, patriotic, old-style view of Britain, which is now regarded by many people as a slightly monstrous attitude, although probably in his heart, it's what people like how they are really believed about this country and and it's just a truthful statement. Now, these books are his constructivist attempt, they might be. These books are his attempt to put forward his agenda. Um, the dilemma he faces, of course, is almost a complete liberal takeover of the mental space of the Anglican Church. But of course, because he believes that ideas dominate the mind, and the mind is the subconscious of the brain, and therefore what elite brains think is of importance way out of proportion to the small number of people they talk to right for. Because he believes rather like uh, uh, Shelley, who said, uh, said that the poet of the NFL is devastated to mankind. He believes that people who produce theorists in which all the other more middling minds keep in sync control the agenda. They don't control it in any personal way, it's not their property, but they control the agreement of the nature of the debate. The total collapse of Anglicanism into liberalism, the total collapse into secular humanism, whereby almost any Christian element is completely removed. Whereas the important thing about religion from uh, the powers of this world is its mysticism, is its irrationalism, its appeal to that which is beyond and therefore can't be argued about, its hieratic possibilities. That element that says believe and is beyond the dying. So you have this strange element, which is always the paradox of the intellectual, particularly the role of local intellectual position. But a man who's always as theoretical as anyone you could ever meet ends up justifying the organicism of belief and the leap into faith, as Kierkegaard would have it, beyond any possibility of complete, or complete rational gainsaying, uh, denial, equivocation, or misstatement. You come back irreducibly to, in all right thinking, how are you, what are you to base hierarchy upon? What are you to base the possibility of transcendence within hierarchy upon? Brute force, law, systems of faith. If systems of faith, what system of faith and for why? And how are people to believe in it at the level of an elite, an intermediate or middling group? Very important in modern societies, of course, now dominant, culturally, and the majority. And how do you hold these people together? And what for? And can I be happy enough to say what value do you need to tell them in order to hold them together? Because he believed politics was partly about that. Well, people he used to see a very contemptuous of the idea that there was important to such bias, and there's such cause. And he would say, look, they are moving within a vortex of power where they have to face off against three or four different tendencies, some of which may resort certainly outside of the country, speaking for years back. So physical violence. 
And there's no cleaning of truth in that area. That's not what they're for. That's the role of the philosopher, or a philosopher king, to some extent. Not a British cabinet minister in the 1930s. I once asked him what his view of the extreme right was, and he said, what do you mean people like Mosley? And yes, and he said, well, he said, they're essentially movements that are cut off from what I consider the right to do. And all that has to be in our aristocracy, of course. And he said, they're essentially, when you go outside Parliament, when you go outside the structures of the British establishment, this is his thinking, you go into the working class, you go into the man. And they never have any power. They can create a lot of force, but they never have come to power in our country. During the revolution, the world of political sort that we had 400 years ago, the masses were energized just for a small moment, and then the dictatorship closed once the monarchy had been removed. And once the dictators were dead, some was put on uh, in by the army council, they realized he was a fool and a weakling, tumbled down dead, and they got their monarchy back very quickly. How can you prove that? These radical parliamentarians and Puritans and idealists of faith realized there was no strong man to hold it together. So they immediately opened up to the old order again and said, we take you back, there will be no recrimination, there will be no show trial. The man who stood for the execution of one king stood to salute another one coming in. That was the elixir of Englishness that uh, Howland started. The ability to, even in very theoretical minds, even with very theoretical intellectual minds, to put that intellectual on no account in moments of national strife, and to embrace the reasons which in a way are sometimes purely physiological and irrational, viewed in liberal, rational, humanist terms, where every decision that every person makes is based upon a rational calculation of utility, of outcome, the moral notion which is very confident to liberal thinking now, philosophically and ethically, or consequentialism, whereby all that ever matters is the consequences of a particular action. The total reversal of the prior religious view, but what matters is intention. If you run a child over and it means that it's manslaughter, which is punished in most Western jurisdictions in a quite minor way, tell us that you know, sort of the word drive mother of the child is being run over. Whereas if it can be proved intentionally the prior to put it put there, because it's been writing on a blog out, it's like that child and this sort of thing, and there's intention there, then that is completely different and conceived as such. So if you have an intention that lies behind an action, from the religious view, everything is prior. And the more radical the religiosity, the more the meaning of life is determined before one even starts thinking about how one might agree or disagree with that. The liberal view, that you have heuristic, where everything thinks you make nothing go along, that everything's relative in relation to everything else, that life is existential and not essential, is the opposite of what you believe. And so in a strange way, you end up with very theoretical, very abstract ideas based upon empiricism, based upon deep historical knowledge of texts and analysis of the psychological motivations of individual politicians and clerics, most of whom known to the legal. Now, Calvin died years ago, he got some major obituaries in the Times and in the Telegraph. A radical important. He certainly in my view, misunderstood the libertarians who largely taken over the Tory party in the post-war period. 
although he would have analyzed them quite correctly as extremely little at a different source. Um, he didn't quite realize that the ruthlessness and the ability to shape shift and change positions, which you see in Michael Patillo more from a right, allegedly right wing Tory defense minister and hate figure of the left, to Diane Abbott, Beth May, if they sit together on a good day in television studio. This strange transformation that occurred. Cameron was, uh, would actually be amazed by the extraordinary cynicism um, in such a mood for a man who professed hard-edged, no-nonsense cynicism and a complete sort of spare, untruffling attitude towards me. This is, that's an interesting parallel. The cynicism of um, what is lecture is called ordinary people can often take the breath away from intellectual cynics. That, um, that's an interesting conceit. Just as intellectuals can change their position so quickly in a way that would doubt with people who are not dominated by ideas. I remember I went to see what was called the salon when I was 18. And I realised that people who call themselves intellectuals had their own class systems. They talk about intellectuals and ordinary people. I suddenly realised the world was divided for them into those who live really and only for the mind and the rest. All groups have their inclusions and their exclusions. Because you can't have discourse without it. All groups rely on ordering who's in the group, who's outside the group, and so on. Um, so I think he misinterpreted the changes in the Conservative Party, which in some ways was his great hope. His great hope is the Conservative Party has no views. The Conservative Party is And therefore, in his way of looking at it, anyone can come to power with it. He'd be very displeased with me. He said, I know what he's saying. He said, you've been too honest. Honesty is never a good idea in politics. He said, this is his hearing. He said, you've stood completely hidden what your actual views are. He said, you've been mentally extreme as a politician, gone out and printed this thing, and you've stayed inside and chiseled your way out. This is his way of thinking. But the problem with that view, which is how to lead to the Tory MPs and others, it's in the old days that the capitalist groups like the Monday Club and so on are the right wing of the Tory party. Those groups don't exist anymore. You would have the funny element that when he ended up and said became leader and the party voted for him to be leader because he resented all the people who were members of the party and they wanted him. And then they realised he sort of rushed into the people and just block of wood, you know, and was sort of completely unelectable in mass terms. And there was a coup. All the forces just got together in the bottom, never mind the dentist, never mind the public, and had a coup to get out of it because he was just uh, a bit freer with the media. And in a strange sort of way, that sort of palace theory, the sort of politics that Calvin lived and breathed, but I think he misunderstood the importance of mass society. I think in, in public modernity, a great modernity, he overestimated the corridors of power and the influence of tiny little microscopic elites and the divisions between them. I think possibly before 1924, I don't get most of these books, are written in the politics that precedes the modern world as we can see it now. His way of looking at things was much more salient, but now I think increasingly doesn't matter. I consider this country ruled by one party that has three wings. And the Liberal Democrats are in the middle and swivel and provide the ideas for the other two blocks, although they can't get any, get any, etc. 
second term involved in another pair of one. And the blocks are class. The blocks are class space. Centre right, the south of England and environment, the virtual class. Centre left, the north of England, southern Wales, the bigger cities, and so on. And they move around each other. But ideologically, these, all of these parties push together, believing in 80%. They're all secularists, they're all humanists, they're all egalitarian, they're they're all fundamentally uh, EU, they're all in favour of multiculturalism, they're all in favour of multiracialism, you have multiculturalism because you have multiracialism, not the other way around, and so on. They're all in favour of As you go out towards the margins of the Labour Party, the, 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 the American domination of the consensus that exists, that becomes more rancid, that becomes more adversarial and the people just drop away there. And that is true. And there are other areas where that nickel model, the nickel model is always great to have in the best. But that, the problem is people, I think that's true, because we're ruled by one party for three weeks. And um, I don't think he really grasped that. So, like all political thinkers, and political philosophers, there's, um, there's, there's a sort of Wagnerian moment at the end, you know? People who sat with him on power in South Down when he lost that seat in Northern Ireland at the coast line to the Democratic Union, but now the hegemonic party in my students in Northern Ireland, run over capital against him, because he didn't like him, because he was an Englishman, and an outsider, and somebody who advocated fusion to the rest of Britain, where they wanted to dissolve the Protestant power inside Ulster. All these divisions that don't match anything to be over here. But so that was absolutely crucial, you know, and as Powell sat there, Watching the votes, watching the fact that the whole political career in the same thing in his feet, he said that um, all political careers ain't in failure. And of course, that is true, that is a conservative view, of course, Because, broadly speaking, with the exception of the most radically totalitarian elements within fascistic ideas, the right is anti utopian. We don't believe. Look at human beings, you know, they've got capable of protection. Uh, and all attempts to do that are a procrustean day, essentially, you know, the body is practical there, you know, okay, yeah, who's at the best place to be possible? And um, that's, that is ultimately the most radical left wing mind. And so, in a sense, a slightly morbidly pessimistic attitude towards human quality and the imperfection of those corruptions is right wing. And now, Catholic influence, I think, is interesting because, despite the belief system, despite the fact that very few people outside academic life are nursing, despite the fact that um, these are difficult and critically trusted on the page of in life, he does point to one interesting thing, and that's the combination of metaphysical historicism and modern radicalism with pure theory. The rejection of Buddhism as an anti-intellectuality which are largely associated with conservatives. So many people sit on the left. Many people I'm sure in their group groups when they were young, they thought that life wasn't interesting. I wasn't interested in ideas. Don't get many people's ideas, it's quite superficial. Why do you think that when I'm the university, the left dominated everything? Absolutely everything. Now the left, in a hard level, is very small, very attenuated. Almost had a degree, reading golf, reading hair, 
optimist discourse, though, is you have to deny that you're a monster, and, and you have to simplify things to such a level. But he, he would have written for the sun, as Cal did, as Adam Clark did. Write for the sun, write for the scientific supplement. Why not? You know, when you write to the Daily Mirror, there's a red book. Red book, of course, for the mirror. Every sentence has to be comprehensible to a 14-year-old child. No sentence must be long to draw them. This is the journalist who instructed it's on their screens. I was once taken around the sun in Watkins by um, Gary Bushnell, who was well known for having a certain attitude, a certain thought. And Gary said, Oh, well, that's enough. He's an hour and 88 grand a year, he said. Well, boy, it's an answer. You know, <laughs> I mean, they all the news <laughs> And it sounds like interesting that half of them have a little bit of eyes on them, all public school boys. And half of them are working class little white boys. And it's this old combination. And in the background, you have, you know, they have my hands or something. They have the most famous pages, all round in an office, and suddenly darting over the flag, obviously, where no one has any privacy. And everyone eating their parents up with your machine and sort of. <laughs> Bushel took me round to, to look at these things. And it was quite interesting, these pounds to write this stuff, and how much pounds to write this stuff. And the sun has a blue book, not a red book of the mirror, where every sentence must be comprehensible for a nine year old. nine year old. And if you put strips through to the stars, it's got a semi candle on it, they're simply fair. Let's say, what are you doing? You know, setting the cover off, but can't say. And uh, and I say, Boris Cowden would have found that sort of atmosphere a bit difficult. But still, ideas communicate at different levels. He can be as close as I like. He brings up here, most people are down here. They're feeling physical. So what uh, what happens up here filters down to them. So I'm very pleased to address a group of. uh, young people, young educated people, and the future is, um, is your generation. If this society will either go with a bang or a whimper in the middle of this century, friends for 40 years, I'll be 90 by then, and you'll be the sort of, uh, you know, a bit younger than that. So, it's a major time is coming. I, to finish, I believe that if we were in 1909, not 2009, 20th century ago, no one could predict what was coming. The First War was coming, the Depression was coming, the Second War was coming, there was collapse of traditional European society in this country, which had occurred, of course, was coming. The social, cultural, sexual, psychological revolution of the 1960s was coming. It's all coming. And yet, no one in 1909 would really know that. And I think here, in 2009, Changes, totally different changes, but changes as radical are coming. Make sure your ideas influence them. Thank you very much.